It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on animal welfare certified bone-in beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie and ground lamb. Grab an olive boule bread from the bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Florence Marine X wants you. The team at FMX are listeners of Surf Splendor, and they want like-minded individuals to help them test their products in the elements. So John John is obviously the key test pilot, but his needs are different than mine, and they want to know what your needs are. And so here's a quick word from one of their current test pilots. He's a former windsurfer who lives on the North Shore. His name's Craig Yester. I actually bought products the very first day you guys sold them back in May. And then um, down the line when you said, oh, we're looking for test pilots. We're like, well, yeah, for sure. Um, I, so I signed up my son-in-law and me and we're like, yeah, let's do this. And then to get the call, it was like, wow, it was like getting, it was like being on The Bachelor and getting the rose or something. You know, you're like, no ways. And then I, after a while, I started to realize, Rob, it's easy for these companies to go out and get an athlete that rips. These companies need somebody that's going to tell them about why their product is good or why their product isn't working. And so it just seemed this like the, a no-brainer that you're getting Joe regular guy to use your products and then give you feedback as opposed to the guys that are ripping it back door or whatever, you know? Um, and, and yeah, and, and to, to, to really value what we have to say and listen and then um, without being too proud of ourselves we're, we're we're ground flooring this thing and, and it's pretty rad i mean we're gonna i'm i can't wait to see this brand 5 10 15 years from now and know that it's gonna be here and not like here people go oh well it's really hard to launch an apparel brand sure it is that's why maybe people don't do it but it's hard to do a lot of things in life but if you push through and you persevere then you're gonna have you're gonna have something you can really be proud of and that i think that's where we all are and like i say when i got the email that you guys invited me to be a test pilot i'll what? And then I looked up all these other cats that are also test pilots. I'm like, those guys are nuts. Are you kidding me? America's Cup sailor, downhill racer, 
filmmaker, lifeguard. I'm just going, this is rad. And so I did. I literally sent them like a DM, like, bruh, I got you five days. You can come and stay at our place in Hawaii. No worries. And um, just because it, it, I feel like I'm part of a community again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. And a, and a killer one too, you know? And as a listener, you are already part of this community. So you can navigate to the test pilot program on FlorenceMarineX.com. There's a selection process, and then they will contact you if you are selected. They're also offering you a one-time discount of 20% off your first order. You just have to use our promo code, which is the word SURF. I'd suggest getting the hooded rash guard with UPF protection if you're going to be surfing in warm water at all this season. Uh, get the board shorts, get the rip stop shorts. That material, that rip stop material, is the precise result of these testing programs. So check it all out. Learn more at FlorenceMarineX.com. Use our promo code, the word SURF, to save yourself 20% and to let them know that you're part of our community. That promo code is good, by the way, through the end of June. So do not delay. And slowtide.co, I cannot believe that I didn't know about Turkish towels. I mentioned it briefly last week, and I think I've actually owned Turkish dish towels in my kitchen years ago. My mom was raving about them. I remember she gave them to me as dish towels, and I liked them. That was my only experience prior. But Slowtide is making 100% sustainably sourced cotton Turkish beach towels. And I never would have thought to order one on my own because I've always just thought that thick and plush equaled luxury. But Slow Tide sent me one of these unsolicited and it is thin and lightweight and it's become my favorite towel, the only towel that I've used these past two weeks. So despite being thin and lightweight, it's as absorbent as anything that I've ever used, but it dries three times quicker. It dries seemingly almost instantaneously, and it actually has gotten softer and more absorbent with washing. And strangely, it's sand resistant, so it somehow doesn't catch or collect sand. Their website says that it also doubles as a sarong wrap, a scarf, or even a tablecloth, but I'm just sticking to drying off with mine. Uh, There's 92 reviews on their website, and 90 of them are five stars. The other two are four stars, so it really is an epic product. And I will be gifting everyone within my gifting sphere a Turkish beach towel henceforth. Slowtide.co. Save 20% at checkout with our promo code, SurfSplendorPodcast. It's all one word, all lowercase, SurfSplendorPodcast. For 20% off on slowtide.co. Enjoy. Quick note, uh, you know we do these surfboard giveaways every month for our paid supporters. And uh, this month we are giving away an album, Free Wing. So you're familiar with album surfboards. Jack Freestone has been riding their boards for the last, I don't know, year or so. And um, slowly, organically developing a model that suits his surfing best with Matt Parker, Shaper Matt Parker. And that has now become the Freewing, and we're going to give one away. So it's a little bit fuller volume, short board. Um, it has kind of a three box setup, so you can ride it as a thruster. I think Jack rides it as a thruster, or two larger side fins and one small tra- uh, center fin. Uh, it's a sick board. It's got a little wing in the back. It's got a fuller volume. Uh, so it's user-friendly, essentially, is what it is. Not quite as high shreddability as Jack, what Jack was riding on tour, but um, more user-friendly for 
the likes of non-CT surfers. So we're going to talk more about that board throughout the month on all of our podcasts, and then we're going to be giving it away on July 1st from their stock inventory. So if you win it, we'll just find one in stock that uh, best suits your dimensions. So thank you for that. Thank you, Album Surfboards. And uh, yeah, five bucks a month uh, on our website is how you support it. It really is the foundation of our work and it's informed this show and guided this show and helped us maintain our archives and fund the actual hard costs of doing the work since, uh, not since day one, but for the past four years or so. So thank you for those of you who support. Best of luck and you can get in on this through the end of June by signing up on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much, enjoy the show. Surfboard builder Sasha Jane Lowerson catapulted into international news headlines last month when she won the Western Australia Longboard State Championships in both the Open Women's and Open Lager divisions. An impressive feat, sure, but the newsworthy bit was the fact that she had never been allowed to compete in the women's divisions before. In fact, for decades and up through 2019, she had won many regional titles and even competed in WSL longboard events in the men's division as Ryan Egan. Among the many headlines that covered this news read, quote, male-born Australian surfer wins women's titles three years after taking men's crown, end quote, and, quote, transgender surfer trounces female competitors in surfing contest in Australia, end quote. Interestingly, among all the articles written, I could find only two wherein the writer actually interviewed Sasha. All the others were pulling quotes from those two interviews. And then very quickly, the news stories became about the public's reaction to the news of Sasha's win. Professional male and female surfers ranging from Kobe Aberton to Bethany Hamilton to Kelly Slater all chimed in and seemed to have more fervent and impassioned responses to this story than almost any other surf news. So while I had read Sasha's interviews about her win, I was really more interested to hear her thoughts on all of the commentary that surrounded it and to hear her address the questions embedded in all of that commentary. Questions about fairness as sporting organizations attempt to redefine gender categories. So without further ado, my name is David Scales and here is my conversation with Sasha Jane Lowerson. First of all, I think we're wearing the same color. <laughs> How did that happen? Matt, geez. <laughs> As if it was planned. Um, do you like talking, like with all the new media attention focused on you? I mean, I, I would imagine that you would know that you'd become a spokesperson for yeah. trans conversation based on your win. Do you feel comfortable in that role? Is it exhausting um, to have these conversations? It's not exhausting. Like there's times and places for it. Like this is a good time and place and a good forum to do that. Um, like Saturday night out with my friends at dinner and a few drinks in and on the fifth cocktail when you've got someone, you know, going 
wanting to be educated, that's not the time and the place. And But unfortunately, that's part of being in that role. So um, I've just taken it on board because I knew this was going to happen if this played out the way it's playing out. And I, I knew growing up, if there had been someone like me, I, I wouldn't have went through the heartache that I went through as much. So um, the visibility thing for me, to be visible in my community and the surf community in the world, I think is really important for those trans youth and, and queer, queer youth. So it is it does get tiring like anything, but, you know, it's something I've willingly taken on. Good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Um, you, when I first reached out to you, or when the, when the news story first broke after you won those titles, um, your Instagram account was private. And when I spoke to you, you seemed to be a little bit guarded about having these conversations. Now your Instagram account is wide open and you're posting lingerie selfies. Uh, it's quite the change. So what changed? Um, well, it's Pride Month. The one too that was sort of why I put the lingerie selfie up but um and it's we're loud and proud we're, we can be who we want to be um when you first contacted me there was some pretty horrific things being written and said um a few of the taglines are those bait click clickbait style um you know articles where they they straight up just say biological male. And um, and something I say to, to everyone, like, how do you know? How do you know I'm not intersex with XX or XYX or with deformities within my body? I don't have to divulge my medical history. Um, so I was very guarded in that respect, just because I had, it was like, boom. Um, I hadn't. I knew what was coming, but I kind of expected this to come off the back if I did really well at the Australian titles, not, you know, one tier down at the regional Western Australian titles. Um, not saying there wasn't as good surfers there. We have some amazing, beautiful female surfers in our state. And, but, yeah, I just it came as a real surprise a little bit earlier than I expected. So what is your approach because part of me thinks I, I fully understand not engaging with those headlines, but another part of me recognizes the value in directly engaging to correct those types of headlines. So what is your approach for how to engage or not? So like I've done a little bit of just eased in, you know, like I, I did a good one with um, Ben Mondi um, where he has direct lines to, to Derek and Chaz. And, um, and just I've done the BBC and the Australian ABC. Um, so, and then now yourself. Yeah. Um, and just like a few local papers that are, um, that were going to spin the positive story and not clickbait it out. Right. For the record, I never spoke to the Australian newspaper. And um, about 70% of the articles have been written off what they said. <laughs> I don't know if I read their story precisely. Was it just about you winning the contest? Um, they're a really right-wing owned um, gotcha. anti-trans athlete um, publication. So um, 
yeah, so basically they were not celebrating the um the triumph as such and the the positivity of it. Gotcha. Um, in the surf world specific, what has the response been? Is it generally positive? Is it celebrating, or has there been backlash? And what is the backlash exactly that you've seen? So the the backlash has been from like basically 45, 50-year-old men plus, um, cis white men, um, that, you know, it's like, really, it's not fucking 1988 anymore. Um, And it's almost creepy. I often make jokes about it and go, well, they're the ones that are are going and seeing a a sex worker once they're drunk. They're actually, it's it's on them. It's It's not on me. Sure. They're fighting their own demons and stuff. So... But, um, you know, the biggest thing that I want to set straight is a few people and uh, have been saying, you know, you girls should have your own trans division and that's just a ridiculous sentiment. Um, we're women. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to divulge my medical history, but, um, you know, how do you know that I didn't, beat men most of my life with XX chromosomes and and estrogen receptors and you know people don't know right a lot of assumptions and um so yeah the the policies have sort of been put in place and and these governing bodies like surfing australia and the ioc and the isa are getting there they're at thin place now as well they've got a directive from the IOC. Right. So um, these people put sports scientists in charge of these decisions. So it's not just a, an opinion-based policy um, like the, the online bullying is. Um, the backlash that I saw in the surf space, I feel like it could be categorized or separated into two categories. One was just kind of from a transphobic standpoint and that i don't think even is worth addressing unless you want to yeah the the other category that i would put it into was more about fairness it was saying biologically born male has certain advantages or strength or whatever that lends itself to the current judging criteria for both men and women surfing what is your kind of response to that argument about it being unfair um, well, that was the thing. I, if you go in and you do some education on hormone replacement therapy for, let's say, for a biological male that's transitioned, um, they've actually got, you know, if you're going to put your given sport, which ours is surfing, the only time it really comes to strength is in, in sections of the criteria. You know, like, um, and it, and you've got to sort of put it down to a number of things. And it's, that's, it is a long debate. And it is basically like with Surfing Australia, we sat down and, and I said, from my personal experience with longboarding, it's the only time strength comes in is like the occasional paddle battle because we surf under priority. Um, Same with shortboarding, but there is that power surfing element within shortboarding. So, but then you just got to look at 
you know, the women's tour, which, you know, it's come really prevalent this year with um, not even having half the amount of opportunity with spots on the tour after the cut. How is that fair? You know, like how are they meant to get better with right. less because the, the top echelon just get better and or they stagnate as such. Um, they don't get better because they just stay in their little their little bubble of the top, the top eight um, with the fringe, you know, four sitting below, and then you've got the challenger series. But it is, it's a it's a pretty in-depth conversation. I know Gala Kennelly and I had some pretty in-depth conversations privately, just because she jumped on and she had some really good points. And I said, hun, you need to understand what HRT does. You, you've made some comments that are a little bit outdated and, and I can see that you don't understand. And we've, we've talked over time and got to know each other. And um, prior to that all happening and, and then once I'd sort of given her the, the rundown of what it actually does and how it affects your body. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost two years in and what it's done to my body, like I said to you at the start, I was walking around at 100 kilos and that was just naturally, not even really trying. I could go to the gym and bulk out to 110 if I was to go powerlifting and do squats every day like the, the elite short quarters do. But at the moment, I walk around at 72 kilos. Um, my foot, my feet have shrunk a full UK shoe size. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's two or three US shoe sizes. Um, I've shrunk almost an inch and a half, um, nearly two inches. I used to be a centimetre under six foot tall. I'm looking at almost levelling out at 5'10 now. And these are all things that the hormone levels have done physically, um, let alone going into talking about what it does to how your brain works and how you problem solve and, and socially interact um, throughout um, you know, in a heat situation, problem solving. So yeah, and the sports scientists go right into this. And I was, I've, I wasn't involved too deeply with that, but I saw frameworks of it. I'm curious what that framework does look like because in your explanation of it right now, there are changes that are happening to your body that essentially the argument is that that's, uh, creating more fairness early in the uh, transition, your body is more, has more of the masculine physiology and now it's changing to become more feminine physiology and quote more fair based on the current judging criteria. Then where do they create the boundary line and the framework? And are they allowed to ask for your medical, you know, uh, records to see that you land within a certain framework. Yeah, and that's the thing with the IOC. Like, this is where we've we've joined the Olympics, you know. And the Olympics is about inclusion. And and I said this, you know, like was it's been the last twelve years that we've toyed with the idea of going to the Olympics as an elite sport. And um, and basically, I said that from where go, I was like. God, the, the right-wing cisgendered male is going to really lose their mind when the Olympics enforce 
what what they like to see within sport inclusion because they've had these frameworks and they've gone through it's not like it's just popped up with what they've got they they've been dealing with this since the 90s you know and and they've got they used to do you know they went through the whole stages of oh let's check let's test um, chromosomes let's do this and they found out by doing that that um there's a big percentage of the world that are in that spectrum of intersex without even knowing um and and a lot of the, the athletes female athletes were can you explain yes. what intersex is how that's defined so if you if you talk about if i use the crass terminology from like what older people would understand it's like hermaphrodite syndrome yeah so basically intersex has so many variations it can be from in utero genital um deformities to all the way up to carrying both male and female um, reproductive organs so um and how what is that how do those chromosomes present so basically like a an un um the best i'm not a doctor remember so i'm just explaining it from my understanding basically say you're xx and you have a lot of female physical or internal traits um a female is xy you'll have a y deformity on one of generally the the back x um and there's there's a lot of um you know determined males at birth that are xy now there's a lot of women that are um xx and then there's so it goes both ways um got it and, and it's the same with the hormone level that's why they started losing their mind in the last the later part with the ioc going well what's a fair range of testosterone in a female body you know what is normal you know because they were banning you know xy female athletes because their testosterone was you know naturally a little bit too high so um there is so, and that's another form of intersex um so yeah and it's so here in australia we've got like our capital um city canberra is its own little state and um or you know little territory very um very liberal in itself they're the only place the only territory or state in australia that has got legislation in place to stop doctors and parents doing corrective surgery on these children that are born this way uh, because there is a lot of reportedly there's about two percent of babies are born with both sets of genitals okay now if that happens um the if you've got a fully formed male bit, they will do corrective surgery and just declare you as a boy. Um, so yeah, it's and that's um, back in the the seventies and eighties and even all the way up until the two thousands. At times, they would just make that decision without consultation of the um, the parents. Wow. Yeah. 
That's incredible. And just go, well, your child had three productive organs outside the body who had gone into emergency surgery. Wow. Okay. Um, you were saying recent studies have shown a large percentage of the population is intersex and then a more significant uh, ratio or percentage that exists in female sports. Do you know what those percentages are off the top of your head by any chance? So they reportedly worldwide, it's 1.7%. There's papers getting written at the moment from um, researchers out of the US saying they believe it's closer to 20%. What? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty mental because of, because now with, um, you know, we're a lot more about consent with um, doctors aren't the be all and end all of, they get themselves in a bit of trouble now if they do the wrong thing without consent. We're back in the 80s and 90s, especially, I know it changed a bit earlier in the US, but here in Australia, if the doctor said something, you just had to take it as, as gospel. So, but sort of moving forward out of that now and, and they're starting to, the informed consent thing is coming right into play. So, yeah, basically the number, the percentage is going up. And, um, but it's... The thing you got to remember, and the thing I always say, trans women are women, and that's that's um, no matter what's going on if they're intersex or not. I guess that's another thing to discuss is um, the issue or the question of identifying as. What, what part of the transition do you identify as a woman? That's a hard one because you, we're talking about social norms acceptance, and um, as yourself. Like I always knew, you know, myself, I always knew from a very young age, but being in the surf industry as I was, and I knew that I wouldn't be accepted or knew that I couldn't do what I could, wouldn't be able to do and have the opportunities to keep doing what I was doing. So, yeah, that's basically as soon as you, how I read it with any girls I meet, um, in the community, as soon as they're announcing to the world and they're accepted within themselves and I, they've expressed to me that they're a woman, they're a woman. So, but when we talk about sports, that's when we, you go into like the, that's when it's, you know, people say, oh, we, we, um, we accept you or we, we support you 100%, but just not in sport. And that's where right. the big right. fight is, and that's where the problem lies. Um, you have to accept us in sport. There's, that's just the way the world is. Um, but there has to be things put in place, like you said earlier, to make it fair for all athletes involved. Um, you can't just jump out of this interview, chuck a dress on and come and compete against me because that would be so unfair. Not saying that you can hang 10 better than me because you're a boy, but that's just we have a, a male-female division because, you know, like what we've spoken about, you have three to 700 parts per million of testosterone streaming through your body and, and I don't. I have about 0.5 and the cis-born woman next to me has about 2 to 10. So, um, yeah, it's... it's um, so where, where do you see that dividing line, though? Because... 
the Chuck on the dress idea is what a lot of uh, anti-trans, you know, yeah. conversation is about. And is there a consensus in agreement on where that line is? So that's the thing, like, and that comes back to earlier, are we going to argue with stupidity people, you know, people being silly. Um, and that one is that that whole premises of just chuck the dress on, that comes from that stupid, you really think I've done this for sport? This is me being me and my authentic self to be happy. And I've done sport my whole life and I want to continue to do sport. Um, and and the, the, the hard um, part of life is I've been identifying in every aspect of my life the wrong gender to finally I actually get to be me and then you know and then I'm doing my sport with the other girls like happily and um and yeah there's there's not many girls like this the positive positivity feedback I've had from the the women on the longboard tour has been phenomenal um you know, and, and that's that's been a really good thing. But, yeah, that divide comes where you can and can't. I think that's when the policies come into place and they've done them with, sat down with the sports scientists and put um, time frames in place of time in transition. And, and some sports um, have the time waiting period from when you start hormone replacement therapy to when you can compete as a woman. Um, longer than others because they've done their tests and they've done their research and gone, well, that woman having grown up and gone through puberty with testosterone needs to have X amount of time to take that advantage away. Gotcha. So that's, that's why the policies need to be in place. Um, can you explain what the psychological effect is of trying to ignore or block part of your identity through your youth, uh, like when you're growing up? Um, pretty full on, you know, things, things like that, just, you know, like growing up in a, through the 90s and, and late 80s and early 2000s, it sort of started to get a little bit better, but not, but blocking out what you, um, truly are has a lot of effects and it and it transfers onto other things where sadly I went into a little bit of um like I I created a, a such a great persona no one knew but then it would all cave in and, and I'd go into self-harm style breakdowns um, so yeah I would have a great front you know like the old saying that, that person has more front than Maya but um, wait till you see them behind closed doors. Do you, can you talk about your childhood? And I think a lot of people would like to kind of better understand the trans experience for youth. Um, and I know you were born in 78. So your experience was, like you said, through the 80s and 90s. But can you explain what that experience was? Yeah, so just like, language you know like the you do something that's not cool and you're getting told oh that's gay you know and um i got called a, a sissy boy by um parenting figures 
and such. And, and um, even to the point, you know, given hidings for, for not um, behaving within the social normality of, of my um, assigned gender. So that really takes effect on then how you perceive yourself and um, how you then present yourself to society moving forward. I had created the ultimate um, masculine uber tough guy as such. I see. Uh, I see. And, and, it, and it could play it well, you know, like um, something I, I say to one of my partners a while ago is I used to play the guy I'd wish to be with. You know, I was playing the perfect part as such. That's sort of how you get through. You create um, mental games and whatnot within yourself to go, well, how am I going to get through this? Yeah. Do you remember how early you started to identify feeling differently than the way that the world perceived you? And then also, at what age did you kind of make the decision that you were going to live as the person that you felt you were? Yeah, so I knew like pre, pre-primary school, like five or six, four, four to six, but there, there was nothing I didn't think, there was no language for it then. There was not, um, there was no you're trans or you're they or them or, um, I just knew I grew up with my nan and, and my my uh, auntie, who was like my sister, you know, I had trucks and whatnot, Tonka trucks there, and you know, but I didn't really play with them. I played with her stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, basically, that was kind of I knew, but I, when I look back, I knew then. But at the same point, at that point, I didn't know that it was different. It wasn't until I was sort of you know, in that social setting and, and you're learning social norms and you're thrown into that primary school setting and you, you're um, basically learning where you are in society at, at a young age, at like 10 and 11, that I was like, yeah, I'm really not like those boys. Then it got even more prevalent going into teen years and, you know, it's like, oh, we're doing this. I was like, you're doing what? I, I wasn't sexual and going through that pre-teen and teenage. <laughs> why, why is your sock all hard and crispy? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, so, like, it would have been my, I first tried to transition when I was 19. Okay. Um, and that was about 97, 98 would have been the start of 98 and um and I was in the system till I was about 21 just getting nowhere um and the terminology that we use for that what was going on is got gatekeeping and and I remember a um psychiatrist telling me going well what are you going to do for work if you transition I was like what do you mean there's women do plenty of jobs and, um, and I was quite a late bloomer with, with um, as in with puberty. Um, I didn't grow underarm hair until I was in my 30s. Wow. And I and basically I didn't, I hadn't really even hit puberty at 19. Um, 
And I basically, I, I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do for work? There's plenty of jobs for, for women. Like, and this, is, this is late 90s, remember? And this is the, the attitude of this person that's meant to be um, there to help you facilitate to be me. And she goes, well, you could be a sex worker. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, but then, and then later on, another few months come along and, and they're like, well, too, you, you know, like, I'm like, well, are we going anywhere? Is this going to happen? They're like, oh, well, we've, we've, we've met our quota as such. I've enough women on HRT for this point of time in this area. Oh. Yeah, so that, and it was just, and I was just like, and this is pre-internet too. So like, yeah. yeah, how do you, you know, how do you move forward? Um, and that's when my mental health started to just fall apart. I stopped trying to move forward. And yeah, basically um, a lot of mental scars were created. Um, and like at that point in time too, like they called it, it was diagnosed um, gender dysphoria as you have it all the time. Now, I get gender dysphoric, but I get a form of gender dysphoria, which is genital gender dysphoria. I'm disassociated with my, my boy bit as such. Um, and I, I can't stand it, I hate it. I even had a name for it all the way growing up, all the way as an adult, I called it the thing. And um, so I was very disassociated with, um, with that and that's how I dealt with it. But then, but back then in the 90s, you were, you were classed as gender dysphoria. Now, me growing up, I grew up in a bit of a, a rough sort of parenting style. Like, I still don't get along with my parents. My mum was 16 when she had me and remarried and wasn't a nice household um, to live in um, for a lot of reasons. And at that point... Um, one of the GPs I was going to said, you know, to go forward to get the HRT, we have to diagnose you with a um, mental illness called gender dysphoria. And, you know, you're under 25 and, and your parents could then just um, sign you into a psych ward and have you locked up and, and even put you under, um, you know, if they were to find out, because I hadn't, hadn't communicated any of this to them and, they could then um, tell the, the facility to administer um, electric shock therapy and conversion therapy. It's not still defined as mental illness in Australia, no. is it? No, it's oh, not. Okay. And it's, okay. Yeah, and it has, it has sort of moved away from that, but only, only in the last five years. That's insane. Yeah. You were talking about depression. How much of the depression that you experienced as Ryan Egan was directly related to suppressing Sasha Jane? Oh, the whole lot. Okay. Because you did you did say that uh, it got worse when you weren't getting the help and when the help was actually making it worse, but yeah. it existed prior to that as well. Yeah. Gotcha. And basically, um, I would spend every daylight minute in the ocean because that's there's no gender on a wave. There's no... You're not a boy. You're not a girl. You're just you're just connecting with a moving bit of energy that's and flowing, 
with um with that that energy that bit of water and um, you heard me say it at the start my thing is like be the passenger on a wave and um and and let it tell you what to do and that was sort of what I connected to to take away and and disconnect from the real world was um you know it, it was pretty funny when I was really young I started surfing like in my before I was 10 and it was in around the time I think Christian Fletcher was starting to do some really crazy aerials and um you know we would get the the surfer mag and I'd seen you know two feet above the lip and back then that was mental Mm -hmm. so it was like 87 88 and straight away I connected with that because I started surfing because it felt like flying and uh and everyone wants to fly (laughs) every wave and I'd just take off as fast as I could and just superman myself above the lip and see how far I could go up regardless if my board stayed connected to me or not nine times out of ten it was flailing totally you know the length of one of those stretchy leg ropes coming back at me like a lacquer band yeah Um, Yeah. so yeah the more I could surf the better I was mentally but then as you get older and, and you start to realize that this thing's serious you know like social norms I just thought I was a freak I thought I was sick in the head because this is what you're getting told. This is what um, the guys that, you know, down at the board riders that go down and go to the, where the, um, go gay bashing on the Friday night. Um, well, you know, like, yeah, and even in TV and movies and the trans woman was a, a murdered or a murderer or a villain or, or a victim. There was no healthy... Um, role models in our world. Can you tell me more about the role that competitive surfing, because you mentioned the role that surfing played in your life as Ryan Egan. What did the role of competitive surfing play in his life and why is it so important to compete now? To be honest, it was the hardest thing to compete when I was him. Um, You know, like to get through like two, three-day events, no worries. I could do them standing on my head. But then to go away to the big ones where, you know, they go for five and six, sometimes, you know, with lay days, you know, especially the old QS, you know, back when there was that the, the star system, like, you know, down into the four or five-star events where there'd be, I remember going to the US and surfing in this, like 5,000 entrants, you know, and you've surfed. You surf for eight days straight, three times a day, and you're only just catching up to the guys that are rated in the top 150. (laughs) Um, They were the events that were just almost emotionally impossible to get through because, you know, to put that front on for that amount of days was was almost impossible. There's the acceptance thing too. Like, I am worthy. You know, I, I am a person... And, um, and, yeah, and that comes back to, to what you touched on earlier is, like, what um, the hormone therapy has done to me um, physiologically, excuse my language, um, physically in my body and then mentally in my head. Like, mentally in my head, surfing as, as him, I used to have to prove something every day that was like, 
look at me, look at me. I can do the biggest hack. I can do the, the tightest, highest nose ride. I can, look, I'm, I'm taking off behind the rock on the biggest wave. Um, whereas when I started back surfing as Sasha and, and me, I had nothing to prove. Um, you know, like I can paddle out to most breaks on the planet and I know I can hold my own with the best of them and I'd actually, why do I need to prove to them? You know, and, and that was the difference. Um, and talking with um, other girlfriends and, and being interactive with a lot of women these days, that's something women don't need. We, us women, we don't need the spotlight. We don't go and do something, go, oh, look, thanks, I did that. Um, but for me, competing as Sasha, the reason I've done this is, um, like I've said before, is just to be visible for that trans youth and queer youth, I think it's really important. And for them to have a, a positive visibility in our space um, is really important. And, and some of the messages I've had from all around the world, um, from, you know, other trans girls, all different ages, um, that do surf and some have stopped surfing and some have said, oh, I'm actually just gone and pulled my board back out and gone and bought a wetsuit. And, you know, I'm going bikini shopping because I haven't been in the water for two years and I saw what you just did and, and it, I don't care what people are saying. Look, you are out there doing it and us girls can do this. Prior to having this conversation, prior to you defining some of that intersex conversation and the way that the rules or the categories are being redefined by the IOC prior to any of that, I thought maybe just winning the title, the ideology and the acceptance of that is more important than the fairness conversation, Yeah, you know, and the fairness thing, I'm glad to hear you explaining the answer to the fairness thing, because that is a very valid conversation to have. And there's a lot of, you know, biologically born women who want an answer to that and understand how those categories are going to be defined. But I also understood that the ideological conversation, the social acceptance, all of that, it might be a more conversation to have in the interim while the fairness thing gets sorted out. Yeah. Yeah, you're spot on. And just... Like you said, just the fact that um, we're talking about it, you know, it's got people talking about it and that's a positive because four years, um, the governing bodies kind of just went, oh, it'll never happen. We can't see it happening. Um, our surfing community won't let that happen. Um, but why? Why should we be not letting that happen? Um, or for whatever reason, you know, they... They've just got um, pushed to the side and not spoken about. So it's a positive that we're having conversations and, and positive conversations. It's funny, I think of surfing as being, the surfing community is actually being progressive and they're early to adopt, you know, uh, environmentalism and yoga and healthy lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know uh, how many trans surfers are in the lineup. I've never taken a tally. I've never really paid attention. And so I There's don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I, and I don't know what your experience is. Do you experience vitriol in the lineup? 
I've had a few incidents, not very many. Um, where I come from is a pretty localised little area. And, um, yeah, the, we have a few enforcers in our area. <laughs> and they've been amazing. Um, you know, they've been really accepting. Um, and, you know, like, since that event, like, the thing that's been amazing is is the young kids that would normally not, you know, so many young kids that are in our water will paddle up to me and go, hey, Sarge, how are you going? Well done. You know, and, and they, all, they all know who I am. They all are, are talking about it with their parents, obviously, and their teachers and, and whatnot. And from my experience talking to them, it must be positive because I'm getting, um, regardless of the conversation, the, the narrative of whatever parenting figures saying, they're being super positive towards me. So, um, yeah, that's been a, a big, big positive thing. The other day, just surfing, we have the break that it was on. It gets quite crowded on weekends. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a main road that goes straight to it. So, you know, midweek, we can get it on our own. But, you know, like with East Western Australia, we do call 10 people crowded. But... The other day, I um, was surfing along and, and I was just knee paddling back out and this old guy um, in his mid-50s on a sup, um, he just sort of zipped up next to me on his knees. He sort of got down to my level and, and he just said, he goes, really inspirational. He goes, I actually um, had a listen to the podcast you did about mental health um, back last year and I know Chaz and the guys from Beach Grit sort of posted that um, that podcast I did with Jason, and um, and he was like very honest and amazing to listen to. I really, really admire what you you've gone through and and um, keep going. You know, like was the so that just little interactions like that. You know, and and he was in that um, that age bracket that I said earlier that has the, um, the biggest issue with me competing. You talked about the source of your depression in your youth being related to suppression of your true identity. Uh, how much do you experience the depression as Sasha and how does it manifest or what triggers it? So basically, I, I used to get um, anxiety attacks and and I used to suffer like agoraphobia. Um, you understand agoraphobia can't leave the house or can't leave a, a safe zone, whether it be like your block or your just to one spot and back. But mine used to kick in pretty bad. And I used to go through like a two to three week cycle. And I'd have this every sort of two to three weeks and couldn't leave the house for a day or two. Um, I didn't have one for two years. And wow. I had, I think it was on the Wednesday or the Thursday um, after the event. And it would have been in around when you had contacted me and I was very guarded. Um, I was at Woolies and um, I just left my surfboard factory and I'd done a bunch of sanding. So I'd been in a claustrophobic 
sort of environment. You know, you've got all the fans going. I wear a full face respirator and it's, the room fills up with dust, and, you know, the lights and whatnot. And I'd showered under a tap and gone and done a bit of shopping. It was about four in the afternoon and, and I was in Woolies and I got pretty much everything I needed to get and a panic attack started kicking in and I was like, whoa, this is unusual, what's going on? And it was, it was because as much as I hadn't read some of the comments or any of them, I'd read a few and I knew what was going on. Um, you know, I, I, I knew there was a lot of negative because um, I'd read the, the articles, some of the articles and, you know, for shits and giggles when my girlfriends come over the day before and I said, check this out. Like, just push my name into Google and see how many swipes it takes till I stop coming up and we're at like 15 swipes. But, but there were so many, like, from countries that don't have, you know, when I say countries that don't surf, but, like, predominantly have a surf culture like we do in the US and here, um, we're really negative and anti-trans athlete um, tagline. So that had taken its toll. Yeah, the walls were caving in and then a guy just sort of brushed past me, just like, you know, only like from here to here. And I had the worst panic attack, anxiety, um, you know, and I visualised myself getting really hurt and I've had those feelings of being hit in the head like rushing and and I visualized me being hit in the head with something really hard and cringing and, and I, was, I just had to get out and um, I've got a good network of close friends and I just called my friend and she came over and we had a, a nice quiet night in and and um, the next day I woke up and I was quite quite okay we talked about it the biggest thing with mental health is is being able to talk about it. I was wondering, that was actually in my questions too, is if the recent mainstream media attention has um, triggered anything, because I'm sure it would come with highs and lows, you know, and it, yeah. it would trigger something in almost anybody, I would think. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, I have a comment and I think it's a great comment. Um, journalists are just humans too. And um, humans, we all we all have arseholes, right? And we all have opinions too. So much like having an arsehole, we have an opinion because we're human. And some people's arseholes just aren't as good as others. They don't know how to wipe properly. They don't know how to keep it to themselves or, you know what I mean? They're, I mean, I hate to say it, but you got to get used to the online yeah. commentary. It is what it is and it doesn't matter what gender, what identity, anything, it's, it's brutal. But what I haven't experienced is the feeling that you were talking about with a male passing you and envisioning being hit or attacked by that person. Is that something that you've experienced, physical violence? I have. Growing up, I, I was subjected to physical violence. So, yeah, um, it was something I had to deal with as a, as a young child. Um, so, yeah, and that was... You know that was the 80s um you know if you're if you had a child that was misbehaving will you give them a bloody backhander please you know or, um and that's that's just how it got dealt with 
there was progressive parenting ideas starting in the 80s is basically how we parent now is by communicating and treating our youth as smart young adults and educating. And, um, and that's why we are where we are now, but um, there was still that hangover. And um, sadly, I, I grew up in a, in a household that was very much so willing to use the belt or the, the fist. Waterwaystravel.com is your ultimate surf travel agency. They are probably responsible for many, many of the trips that you salivated over when you were looking at surf magazines in the 90s and the 2000s, because that's how long they've been doing it. And they were the leaders in that space. They were booking all of those trips for those magazines, for those pro surfers. They were pioneering many of the world's best known surf spots. And uh, the world is opening up again, and your time and your resources are precious, so don't waste your time. Don't get skunked. Don't go somewhere and get three-foot surf. Go to Indo. Go to South Africa, Maldives, Fiji, Mexico, Samoa. Waterways covers all of it. It's all within reach. It's been totally vetted, and accommodations and meals have been curated to ensure that you score the precise right swell direction conditions they have you covered and beyond that if you need filmers fishing trips whatever waterways is your concierge so waterwaystravel.com we don't have a promo code or anything like that but if you're so inclined just tell them we sent you and uh if you do end up on a trip send me feedback let me know how that trip went send me photos of you scoring because i am way overdue for a trip anyways have a blast on your trip waterwaystravel.com thank you and enjoy realwatersports.com of course our retail partner uh, and it just kind of gets better and better i have board builder friends who i've interviewed on this program who said that they've reached out to real water sports because of us talking about them here and now they're supplying boards for them as well so look at that small world keep talking about community here it is so realwatersports.com huge inventory 1500 board inventory of all the names that you know and love uh, in a wide variety of sizes. That's the other key. So they have what you need right now on realwatersports.com and they can ship it to you for one flat low fee guaranteed to show up blemish free. Which by the way, a lot of retailers don't offer that. You might leave the retail shop, walk out, drop it in the parking lot, boom, blemished. You didn't even get it home yet, not guaranteed. This shows up on your doorstep blemish free guaranteed realwatersports.com thanks for providing such an epic resource for our listeners hiring for a small business is critical it's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do linkedin jobs will be your next big unlock LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, 
all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Not to segue too drastically, but you mentioned working in your surfboard factory. Uh, how did you get introduced into board building? And what's your label's name? And what are you responsible for laminating, shaping? Give me the whole rundown. Yeah, so I sort of grew up on the Mornington Peninsula until I was, you know, mid-teens under sort of my first exposure to a surfboard factory was through Phil Grace, who spends six months of the year in um, France in, um, in Bally's factory. He helped Bally set that factory up in the 80s, I think it was, or 90s, and then six months of the year in Victoria. And um, my first exposure was um, him asking me to clean up the back of the, the backyard. And it took me and his business partner's son, I think, two days, and I got a quick silver sticker. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big one, though. <laughs> That's so That's funny. So funny. But, um, yeah, basically my exposure was just through those guys and then another man who was taught by Mick Pierce who was um Phil Grace's um, business partner now Mick was was Michael Peterson's caddy out of Bells he's quite a bit of a Victorian legend um an amazing man too um so yeah basically 
he mentored another shaper by the name of Frank Sambucco, which sadly he doesn't shape anymore. He's, he's in, I think he just owns a fruit shop um, and a general store down in that area. And, um, and yeah, I was exposed to those guys, um, a bit of sanding and a bit of laminating. Um, and then sort of just moving forward through life, I, I always sort of would lean on that to get out a bit of trouble with work and through factories on the Gold Coast and then factories all around the world, basically. Um, done a bit of work, you know, sort of, yeah, just sort of to get, you know, you're travelling and you're like, shit, someone, I need some money, I've got to get out of here, I need to buy a plane ticket. But um, I decided I was working with... Um, a local Western Australian shaper a few years ago and just as a team rider and he has a factory on the Gold Coast and um, his name's not worth mentioning. Um, but uh, we, we sort of had a falling out on design um, concepts um, off the back of me bombing out of like the, um, the Australian titles. I think it was a quarterfinal or a semifinal. I lost my mind over it because... I knew I could have beaten um, like a, a multiple time world champ in that round if my board had have done what I needed it to do. Um, with longboarding, especially with nose riding, it, it has a lot to do with your board design has a lot to do with hanging 10 and being able to stay there longer. And, um, and I, we sort of just parted ways off the back of that. And then um, just because I was never getting anything I, I wanted. And that was when I just thought, just went, well, fuck it, I'm going to go, I know how to, I know how to shape, I know how to sand, I know how to laminate. And um, I built a shaping bay in the backyard of the house I was living at at the time. Um, and I was just outsourcing the laminating. And about a year after that, I bought my factories where I am now here in Mandra. And um, I do everything. I'm the, I'm the janitor too. <laughs> So I'm not a very good janitor. It's a bloody mess in there. But um, I was hand shaping a few and um, then I was getting a few hand cut as well and up machine cut as well. And I sort of decided, I was like, right, do I want to do this? This could be a job. Like this could, I could, you know, off the back of, um, I was selling a few boards, put it that way, just through um, me riding them around the area. And basically, um, I went stuff. I'm not surfing enough, you know, to to cut to hand shape a nine six um, would take me all day. Um, and it it was just like one day it was like a light bulb moment. Is um, I missed a perfect session because I was hand shaping a, a board. The guy that come around to look at it goes, "Oh, where were you all day shaping this?" <laughs> You know, like it's nine six by twenty three and three quarters wide and three and a bit inches thick. You know how many laps of this thing I've already done? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so at that point I went, stop it! I'm going to bite the bullet, and I went and bought a a Shaper X machine from Seattle, and then that was a whole other learning curve. Like to learn how to use that has been, you know, another another aspect to the shaping side of things. When I did that, bought that machine, a lot of people were like, oh, it's not, it's, it's no soul in a machine. I'm like, okay. 
I want to go surfing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that conversation was relevant a decade ago, I guess, but I don't hear anybody actually arguing against the machine anymore. Yeah. Well, it was, um, I was talking to, to Thomas, to Doc at Noosa and, and uh, Maurice Cole, and, which was amazing to meet Maurice and his son. And, and they even sort of put an invite out to come and shake in the chook shed if I ever come over and, and whatnot. And, but same with Thomas. Thomas was like in the, um, in the little demo shack that they had there at the Noosa Festival of Surfing. He's pulled to appreciate him. And I was like, that is awesome. Well done, Doc. Like, to just, let's get rid of this stigma. And he goes, he said the exact thing I just said. He goes, see, I've got ghost shapers. I, you know, like, I I like to surf. (laughs) Do Do you want your shaper to be able to talk to you about your design and get a good board for you and see them in the water surfing and continuing to love what they do? Or do you want the, the stigma of, that's not sold because it wasn't handshake. Yeah. I often put the relevancy back too as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure back in the day when they were just using shore forms um, that they were calling the guy with the electric planer an unsoulful. Totally. Um, so what's your label's name? So I've just relabeled as Sasha Jane Designs. Okay. Um, it used to and- run under their foot division because I never wanted, that was part of that. Um, gender dysphoria and and disassociation to being the old me and not wanting to um, associate myself to that name because it's genderized. Um, so yeah, I, I used to be barefoot division and um, and I still run the West Side Surfboards label, which is the old uh, mother company, and we're just relabeling trading as Sasha Jane Designs. How have orders been? Have they justified the uh, purchase of the machine? Yeah, like it's slow. Like I still work. It's my second job. Um, It definitely has. To get boards cut, it was like I used to do it in batches. You know, I'd send 10 boards to get cut and it was an all-day drive. The closest machine was four hours away. So I'd drive four hours, drop boards off, go surfing, drive back. A week later, go there and then do the, the turnaround and then finish shape and laminate. Um, but, yeah, so it's definitely worth it for myself to be able to just go into the factory and um, and learn and play around with it. And, and also, too, like I've had other shapers come along and go, hey, I, I, can I get some cuts done? Perfect. And I've been cutting for other shapers too, which has been really good. Yeah, I mean, if the nearest machine was four hours away, then yeah, I would think that would be a great little way to operate. Yeah, so um, moving forward, I probably will, I'm looking at setting a shop up, outsourcing the laminating and sanding, um, just because it, I don't know, I think, I'm thinking I want to set up like an all women's board store, um, which still services to men, but um it hasn't got that masculinity touch to it where I won't have posters on the wall of, of um, a girl surf, a girl that rips, a girl that surfs better than 90% of the male surfing community and she's just posing like a model in a bikini. Right. It's not taking anything away from it. She's still beautiful and she's gorgeous. 
But guess what? She probably does better hacks than most of, most men on this planet. So why are we sexualizing her? <laughs> why are we not putting yeah. that? Out? <laughs> I think there's a huge market for that store. Yeah. A couple of questions kind of in wrap up. Have you had any official conversations with the WSL? I know that you've competed in WSL events as Ryan Egan. What's their policy um, on inclusion for trans athletes? At this point, I've not found a single thing. Um, my direct contact through Surfing Western Australia is Laney. Um, now, he's, he's our CEO of Surfing Western Australia. He's um, sent a number of emails to, to Starkey, who's the Australasian um, manager of the WSL and just because we wanted to give him the opportunity to go to World Surf League's head office and be like a look at me, look what I'm doing sort of shining bright star rather than skipping him and, and doing a bit of a but, um, but sadly I've had no response um, I haven't really been chasing up I've probably left about when I say I haven't really chased up. I've left about, let's say, five or six voice messages at Coolangatta's WSL head office to be called back. Um, and the, and the, the emails are going to start because we've, after like post-COVID, we've, we've got a longboard tour going now. Um, Oceana is the only region that doesn't have a QS 1000 qualifying event at the moment. So they're using points from God knows going back a long time for next year's qualifiers. Um, yeah. And at, and WSL, I understand how they're structured. They, they outsource their events to regional offices like, like surfing New South Wales or surfing Western Australia and, and they have to pay a fee to run an event and whatnot, and it is quite costly. But um, we just have to wait and see where we go with that. Their policy on trans athletes, from my understanding, is non-existent, which is a bit sad. But I mean, I'm wondering, does there need to be in a policy? What if you just enter the event as a woman and let them sort it out, right? Well, that, that's sort of the line I took um, a year ago. I sort of said to the Surfing Australia, I said, you know, Con, let's put a policy in place so you guys are covered legally. Because, um, and that I said, otherwise, if we don't, like, um, I'll just enter the event. I'll, I'll sit the old IOC recommended waiting period of 12 months for all Olympic um, sports. And then I'll just enter and, and I'm legally a woman in Australia, I've had all my gender markers changed and if I travel to the US or travel to anywhere, um, I travel as a woman and I come in and out of the country and, and those authorities don't, I don't have to divulge medical history, so they don't even have me as a gender X, they have me as a gender F. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer that I don't, I don't want to be a gender X, I'm female, so yeah. Um, I smile when you say that because I am, that's something that is a, quite a possibility is, um, is just entering 
It would actually be incredibly revolutionary if the WSL didn't have a policy for trans. And if they just said, sweet, you're in, you know, and it is what it is. But do you need to have one? And that's that's the question, you know, and and going back to the negative keyboard warriors, if there isn't one there, what's, um, you know, they've got no... The people that are actually running the event don't have a framework to go, listen, she meets this rule and regulation. She's a girl. She's a woman. She's in. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I think there needs to be one. I understand. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. Like, I'd love it to not have to need one. That would be a – I think we're a fair way off that. I think in the looking forward maybe um, – we probably yeah. won't need in another, hopefully, our lifetime. Can I ask you how you feel about Ryan Egan? Um, to give you an like a to give you a bit of a rundown, I texted all his names off my trophies a few months ago. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> And I texted off the men did as well. That was sort of something. And it and it was just like I wasn't having a, a breakdown, but I was just having a bad day. So do you regret that or because you were having a bad day? Not really. Like, like that's part of me. And I don't, I've never disassociated. He couldn't have done a quarter of what he did without the woman inside. Um, the strength of her got him through. So yeah, that um, that was that's how I look at it anyway. Gotcha. How has your surfing changed post transition? Stupid, crazy, different. Um, I think I touched on that earlier with the way I train. Um, I used to surf to my strengths, which were a lot of tail power um, and big, big explosive turns on a longboard with, um, you know, now it's it's all about um, being pretty and as in with beautifully timed walking and nose riding and, and um I still have a little bit of explosiveness, but I ride a lot more traditional style boards. Um, and it's when I do put that explosiveness in, it'll be in a like a, a turn that would have been done in the 60s with like in a switch cross step, um, curtsy style turn, and I'll be pivoting on it really hard, um, not coming top to bottom vertical on a nine foot shortboard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even down, like just navigating a a, um, a lineup's different, like a busy lineup. You know, like back in the day, I would have, um, I would have, if you had a like muscled in and tried to paddle me up the point, I would have taken you on and paddled you so far, knowing that point. If it was my home break, knowing it so well, I would have like pushed you so deep that I know I could make it. And I know I would push you beyond. And I'd be that aggressor. Yeah. But now I'm, I just sort of laugh at it and go, okay, like you're probably going to pick this wrong one anyway. 
and just let you go. And um, and funny enough, like by doing that, um, I'm finding a lot more flow of positive energy. I'm not finding confrontation with people in the water, and I and it, and yeah. So um, I think some of that comes with the rage too. <laughs> I've been experiencing those same feelings. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have enough perspective on your life in the transition thus far, but is there any part of the process that you would have done differently with hindsight? Um, I'm still early days. Like I'm, I'm almost at two years transitioning. Um. The thing I would have, you know, and I say this all the time, I would have loved to have this happened 20 years ago. Um, if only I had a follow through, I, I wish for that. But, um, but in that same sentiment, like there's so many things that I, I did in that time that I wouldn't change either, you know, that, that made me who I am. Yeah, good. Sounds like a healthy place to be. Yeah. Were you writing a self-shaped board when you won the state championships? Yeah, I was. Um, I was writing one of my new models. It's called, it's a pink shape. So it's like sort of circa 67, really sort of um, really boxed rails though. And um, it's a 9.4 and I've named it the honey ham model. Um, it's got a pretty radical depth concave through the tail um, and it's just really bead um, being a pig it's only 22 and a half wide so it um I, I pulled it out and started riding it at Noosa after I bombed out of the event and um at that point I was like I should have ridden this in the event <laughs> <laughs> Um, how does somebody get a Sasha Jane board? You can just contact me on Instagram okay. and, um, and go from there. And, um, and yeah, I will gonna arrange it to get, get to anywhere where you are. Perfect. Awesome. Well, this has been a very informative and entertaining conversation. So I really appreciate you taking the time and providing education too. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for giving me the time to share my story and, and get um, get it out there and be visible. For, but hopefully it's someone out there that sees it needs to see it and feels comfortable enough to be them. I, yeah, I think so. I know our listeners wanted to hear from you, but I also just think that a lot of the process is relatable, you know, and um, what I experienced in my youth the, I don't know, the suppressing of a certain identity and feeling like an outsider and all of that, I think is a universal feeling. And what I experienced in my youth wasn't nearly to the degree that you experienced it clearly, but it's relatable, you know? And so hearing somebody talk about it is, um, I think everybody can relate to your experience to a certain degree. A hundred percent. And that's, that's the thing. And and that's why I've got to do these talks is because we've got to humanise us girls. We're like a lot of people that 
um, get their opinion, don't understand that, um, or go negative on it and just go off on a rant on a keyboard warrior style rant, they forget that, hey, that's a human you're talking about. That's a person. Um, they, they cry, they laugh, you know. Um, so yeah, it's just getting it out there and being um, sharing and whatnot. And like you said, it's, it's a really relatable. Thing. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you. Congrats on the big win. Excited to see what's next. Thank you and you have a great week. All right, you too. Talk soon. All the other girls here are stars. You are the northern lights. They try to shine in through your curtain. You're too close and too bright. They try and they try, but everything that they do is the ghost of a trace of a pale imitation of you. I'll be the one to drive you back home, Kathleen. Thank you, Sasha Jane. Um, I was really eager, actually, to have this conversation. And Sasha, we had a bit of a back and forth for, I don't know, two or three weeks. And so the way that this ultimately came together was a podcast listener named Dan messaged me and said that he's been friends with Sasha since they were about 15 years old. And um, he's like, I can put in a good word for you if you want. And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, if you can have her listen to back episodes just so she can kind of understand the tone of the work. And uh, sure enough, within a day or two, I heard from Sasha reached out and she said, yeah, I'd be thrilled to do it. So Thank you, Dan. <laughs> we talk a lot about um, our supporters or our community of listeners, and um, that's exactly an example of what I'm talking about, the way that the show has been able to operate. The success of the show is directly related to the listeners. So thank you. And um, yeah, thank you, Sasha. Fantastic conversation and cleared up a lot of what we had just been conjecturing about, really, for weeks and gives me um, just a better understanding. So that's all that I hope for many of these conversations and um, find everything that we discussed, links to Sasha Jane on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You could link to all of our sponsors to access their discounts or our discounts with them. And um, then you can set up your support of our work as well. If you liked this show, if you wanna hear more like it, invest in the future by supporting us for $5 a month. You can do it on surfsplendorpodcast.com and uh, we'll give away surfboards every month. That's part of our thank you for that support. So last month we gave away a Channel Islands free scrubber. This month we have an album free wing. We've got a John John trade-in that Pizel shaped specifically for John John that we're going to give away. Uh, we've got a Panda shiitake that we're gonna be giving away and more. I think a spider fireball fish is coming. Dennis said that he wanted to do that. Uh, so anyways, we got boards throughout the rest of the year. Excited to talk about all of them, but the album Free Wing is on the docket that we're gonna give away July 1st. So get your support in before the final minute of the final day of June on Pacific Standard Time and you'll be entered to win that. All right, thanks so much. Um, episodes of Spit and the Grit are coming this week. They're late in the week due to scheduling issues, but they will be here this week on Thursday and Friday. So look forward to that. And until then, and until next week here on Surf Splendor, this is David Scales saying thank you so much for listening 
and reminding you to get back in the ocean, share some waves, and shred them. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.